It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It's Thursday, August the 12th, 2021. I'm Guy Benson, and this is the Guy Benson Show. So happy to have you here. Grateful for your listenership every day. Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Then there's the podcast, which is free on demand around the clock at GuyBensonShow.com or FoxNewsPodcast.com. You've got bonus Benson on the weekends there. We just recommend GuyBensonShow.com in general as a one-stop shop. So our radio duties are underway, and we've got a big show ahead for you this afternoon. Later this evening, I'll remind you again, programming note, I'm sitting in for Kennedy, who's on vacation, on Fox Business Network, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And it was fun last night. We've got another big show planned this evening, so I hope you'll join us tuning in live on FBN or setting your DVR. Here on radio, this is the lineup we have in store. KT McFarland will join us later this hour talking about, quite frankly, the U.S. defeat in Afghanistan. I don't know what else you can say. The Taliban is taking over the country at rapid, rapid rates. They are taking over major cities and provinces police stations, etc., at a much faster clip than the experts had anticipated. The State Department is urging Americans to get out while you still can. Because we announced to the enemy when we were leaving and how we were leaving, the enemy has paid attention, and the enemy is about to take the whole country over again. I mean, it seems basically inevitable at this point that Kabul and the government will fall. The Taliban, a terrorist organization, will take over. It will be absolute hell for anyone who helped the United States over these last couple decades. Women and girls, it's going to be a humanitarian catastrophe. And it could become a national security problem again if the Taliban once again allows terrorist organizations to train and operate Within their territory, which was what led up to 9-11. I know a lot of Americans are war-weary and tired of this. But is this the way we wanted to leave? What will we have accomplished over these 20 years? All those sacrifices. Throwing it away? I mean, part of me thinks the American people maybe just doesn't really care about this stuff at the moment. We're focused on other things. We're tired of this long, seemingly endless war, and I think that's all true. I think that is how the public feels about this. At the same time, I can't imagine that the American people can look at what's happening here and feel good about what's playing out. Feel good about tucking our tail and leaving a country to descend into complete disarray and fall into the hands of of a force that we supposedly defeated, but obviously not. 
I don't know if the American people are keen on embarrassing, humiliating defeats, especially after the amount of treasure and blood that we've poured into that country. You can say, well, we had to cut our losses at some point. And I think that speaks to the mentality of many Americans. But could you have mitigated this? Could you have done it in a smarter way? A less disastrous way? We'll ask KT McFarland some of those questions coming up. Jimmy Fallon will join us in the next hour. Looking forward to that. Always fun when Jimmy drops by in studio. Molly Hemingway also on the latest Hunter Biden update. Did you know there was another laptop involving actual Russians this time? And potential blackmail material and a few other things that he said on these tapes? It is quite something. And I know a lot in the media, a lot of folks in the press... And organizations just don't want to touch anything having to do with him with a 12-foot pole because it's damaging to their preferred president and their preferred party. I don't see how they can label this one misinformation, but maybe they will. Maybe they'll try. Molly Hemingway has details later. In our final hour, the happy hour, Will Kane, our colleague from Fox and Friends Weekend, he's in Iowa at the Field of Dreams. They've been advertising this. On the show, it's a Fox broadcast tonight. Yankees, White Sox, in the cornfields of Iowa this evening. And I'll be watching on Fox. I think that's pretty cool. Not just because I'm a Yankees fan and a fan of the movie and just a fan of baseball in general. And Will has had the pretty special opportunity to go cover it for Fox News. He will check in from from Iowa with us later in the show. Let's bring you a Fox News alert. Stats, as we do every day. Coronavirus confirmed cases, 36.3 million. That's the official total in the United States cumulatively. It's a lowball estimate for reasons that we have explained many times. The death toll here in the U.S. from COVID, 618,701. The Dow, roughly flat at this hour, we'll keep an eye on that. As we begin the show today, I want to discuss with you the intersection of two crises, the COVID crisis and the border crisis. There have been a few anchors and segments over on CNN, one in particular, who has been raging against conservatives, I know, shocking, scolding conservatives, suggesting that conservatives are a bunch of xenophobes and racists because some of us have noticed that there is a COVID problem intertwined with the border crisis. Now, it is, of course, true that there are some people who are xenophobes and racists who say, oh, look, it's these immigrants bringing death and disease to America. That is not the problem that we're facing with COVID. This is not an immigrant-driven problem. This is a global pandemic that has hit everywhere around the world. So I have no interest in scapegoating immigrants or anyone else for what's happened. No one is really at fault except arguably for the Chinese Communist Party. That also doesn't erase the fact That what we're seeing as a part of this border crisis and elements of the border crisis, which are ongoing, in fact, the crisis has deepened. I saw a headline today, the official number 
of illegal border crossings encountered and detentions in July was 212,000. The initial estimate, you may recall, was 205,000. It was even higher than that. 212 in the month of July when the White House told us, first of all, they won't call it a crisis. Still, they insist the border is secure and closed. What a joke. And they said, well, it's seasonal. And when it gets really hot in the summer, we see it comes down. The opposite has happened. It is ratcheted up 212,000 last month, not including tens of thousands of gotaways that we know of. There is a COVID component to this. And what they're mad about is conservatives noticing it and mentioning it. Right? They tell us, the progressives in the White House and the administration, out of one side of their mouth, we have this raging pandemic and it is such a threat that we need three-year-old children in masks. And you ask for the actual evidence and science there, and as we outlined in detail yesterday, it is shoddy at best. But avert your eyes. Nothing to see down there at the southern border with regard to covid And if you want to bring that up, then you're just repeating xenophobic tropes or whatever. Let me read you this. On top of, and and you may have seen some of the images flying around on social media, some of these detention centers absolutely packed, like almost people stacked on top of each other. That's how bad the crisis is. Families, children, not just from Mexico and the Northern Triangle countries, but From dozens of countries, they've been coming in. There's a we're open sign at the southern border, courtesy of the Biden administration. It's their rhetoric. It's their policies. The data proves it. The timeline proves it. The immigrants themselves say it. And they're in denial, the White House, about all of this, blaming everyone and everything but themselves. It's so overwhelming. It's so unsustainable. We we reported in recent weeks, Axios had this story, 50,000 of these illegal immigrants were simply released into the country with no court date, which was unprecedented. They were just told, "Ah, find an ICE office at some point in the next three months or whatever. Good luck. And wouldn't you know it, shock of all shocks, only a tiny fraction of those people actually sought out an enforcement office that might send them home. Um, Imagine that. And these images are just disgraceful of people packed into these rooms. Now, here's the update. This is from the Washington Examiner. The city of Laredo, Texas, has refused to take in migrants who have been bussed in from elsewhere on the border after discovering 40% of them, 40% of them, tested positive for coronavirus. So you've got people just thrown into buses on the border and sent into Texas communities. And they're showing up in Laredo. Officials got wind that 40%, 4 out of 10 of them, were COVID positive. And the officials just said, no, we're not, they're not stopping here. Quote, that percentage was very high, said Laredo Mayor Pete Sayens in an interview, referring to the infection rate among migrants dropped off by Border Patrol last week. Laredo Health Authority and that office confirmed the numbers. The 40% infection rate is the highest known positivity rate along the U.S.-Mexico border. 
Last week, McAllen, Texas, reported a 15% positivity rate, which is also high, by the way, among migrants released from custody. Just released into Texas, right? And the White House is sitting here lecturing Texas, attacking the state of Texas over their COVID mess and their Delta wave that they're dealing with. And there are some new mitigation steps that Governor Abbott has taken. They're trying to encourage vaccinations as they have all along. But the White House is singling out Texas for scorn and criticism. Meanwhile, this is happening in Texas as a direct result of this administration's border policy. And they have the nerve to turn the spotlight at Greg Abbott like he's the real problem. And then have their allies in the media at CNN say we can't even talk about any of this. Because it's racist. No, you can talk about this in a serious way without blaming or scapegoating any group of people based on their race or or just blaming immigrants generally. There is a public health crisis or there isn't. And in some respects, this policy at the border, it's they're sort of treating this almost not completely as if the public health crisis doesn't truly exist or there's an asterisk or there's a carve out or they don't want us to think too hard about it. Back to the story from the examiner. Concerned that migrants arriving in Laredo would further strain hospital resources, Laredo officials contracted private bus companies to transport the migrants arriving from the Rio Grande Valley to larger cities across the state. By not admitting migrants from the McAllen buses, Laredo is not required to test them for coronavirus and could then forward the families elsewhere. This is the policy right now down there. So this group gets tested. 40% of them are positive. They throw them onto buses and drive them to a city. And they say, hey, city, please take these COVID positive illegal immigrants with just a steady stream coming. City says, no, we're not going to test them, even though we know the numbers based on the policy. We're not going to test them because if we did, we would have to take them and put them in isolation. Instead, we're going to shift them off to some other city, a bigger city maybe, that has more hospitals because we don't want our hospitals overrun. Does this sound completely insane to you? It sounds completely insane to me. So this is what's happening in these, these buses in these communities throughout Texas, while the White House wags their finger from a distance. You got the images and videos of these overrun detention centers with no end in sight. And curiously, I haven't seen any anguished photo ops from AOC. She hasn't gone down to the border and cried and screamed while the cameras clicked in front of a parking lot. I haven't seen Kamala Harris. She had to basically get shamed and dragged to the border. She barely showed up for about four seconds in an area not overrun with the problem, right? Not one of the hot spots at the border crisis. That's where she went to check the box. When she was a senator running for president, she went down there. She had those binoculars, remember, waving at the children, hand on heart. She came down and pronounced it crimes against humanity perpetrated by the Trump administration. Oddly, that rhetoric seems to have gone away. What changed? Well, the crisis itself has gotten worse. Their reaction has become muted or non-existent. What changed? The political party in power. That's what changed, period. 
Last point, brand new Fox News poll. President Biden's approval rating on immigration, 35%, with nearly 60% disapproving. It's a crisis. It's a disaster. He owns it. He knows it, but he's paralyzed because of the base of his party, which actively wants open borders even during a pandemic, which is bonkers. This is what happens when these two crises intersect, and it is not pretty. And my heart goes out to everyone affected by this. It has to stop. There are ways to make it stop, but the administration won't pursue them. An absolute mess. Quick break. We are just getting started on this Thursday. It's the Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk. Generation of talk. Guy Benson. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. More details on Afghanistan coming up in the next segment with KT McFarlane. Pentagon just announcing that they are sending 3,000 troops back into the country to help facilitate our exit and evacuations. And then it's basically all bets are off. And the Taliban poised to take over. Meantime, something interesting happened last night. I was filling in for Kennedy, Fox Business, same thing tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern. And right before we were going on air, there was some sort of commotion. And her studio is on the second floor. So I went over to the window because the crew was looking out the window. There was a group of leftists who had shown up right outside Fox News headquarters. I've now seen this on Twitter. People took photos and video. Not a big group. Maybe 12, 20 people, somewhere in that range. They were mad at Fox. They burned an American flag. They threw the flag on the ground and burned it. Protected free speech, also disgusting. Then they had photographs of some of our anchors and hosts. I saw Tucker Carlson. I think I saw Laura Ingram, and they burned photos of our hosts. Now, if there were a bunch of right-wingers outside CNN burning photos of their anchors, would the media perhaps call that an attack on the free press from an angry mob? I think they might. This happened here just last night. Tucker, by the way, said to townhall.com that he was proud to be burned with the American flag. Not a bad line. It's the Guy Benson Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. GuyBensonShow.com. We are back here on the Guy Benson Show on this Thursday. Fox News Alert. We have just witnessed in the last few hours press conferences from the State Department and the Pentagon in the Biden administration talking about the collapse of Afghanistan. The U.S. military, as telegraphed specifically, is withdrawing and the Taliban is taking over the country. 
They have seized two-thirds of the territory, and they are closing in on the capital. And now the U.S. government is telling its people, get out as soon as you possibly can. And the Pentagon is facilitating essentially an evacuation. And what comes next can only be bad. And unfortunately, this was all predictable. Joining us now is Katie McFarland, former Trump Deputy National Security Advisor. She has served multiple presidents in her career. Katie, good to have you here. Oh, Guy, it's so good to be with you. And, and thanks for taking this extraordinary story and covering it live like you are. Um, it's a great tragedy. I was in Viet. I was in the White House Situation Room in, in April of 1975 when we had to evacuate American forces from the American embassy. They were surrounded at the end of the Vietnam War. We were surrounded by the communists, North Vietnamese, and we had to get Americans out by helicopter. I remember that famous photo, right? It's like it is a photo signifying an American defeat. I mean, it's it's a a very sad chapter in our history. I can picture it because I've seen that photo many times. You saw it in real time in the Situation Room. That's extraordinary. Is this a similar sense that you're getting? Yeah, and we're making the same mistake again. I stood in the White House Situation Room with tears in my eyes, and I said, never again should American forces be sent around the world to fight in a war that didn't matter, in a place that didn't count, in a war that couldn't be won, supporting and propping up corrupt leaders in a country that had no significance for us and was bound to end in failure. And yet here we are again. We're doing the same thing again. We won the Afghanistan war in December of 2001 after three months We eliminated al-Qaeda from Afghanistan, and there were only 200 al-Qaeda fighters, including Osama bin Laden, who escaped into Pakistan, into the tribal regions of Pakistan. We should have followed them in hot pursuit and killed them off right then and there. Instead, we said to the Pakistan government, oh, you take care of Osama bin Laden, which, of course, they never did. We finally had to in Pakistan. Yeah. Only because we didn't let the Pakistan government in on it. That's how we got Osama bin Laden. Uh, but at the end of the day, we didn't try to rebuild Afghanistan into some modern state. It was so, never going to happen that way. So, KT, it was the most corrupt country, incompetent, illiterate country in the world, and we tried to build it into a modern state. So, you know, I supported the Afghanistan war because of what the Taliban allowed Al Qaeda to do, and then attack but, us and kill thousands of us. Right? I mean, we all know what happened. What came next was and has been the subject of a lot of debate. We are now where we are, right? It's 2021. It's two decades later. There are a lot of Americans who might look at these images on TV and say, well, this is very sad. This is a national disgrace. What was all of this sacrifice for? All the blood, all the death, all the money. What's going to happen to people who helped us? They're going to get slaughtered. The poor women and girls in that country, we can be horrified by it. I also think there's a lot of Americans who say, but what was the alternative at this point? We can't just stay there forever and ever. The last three presidents of both parties have campaigned on disengagement from the region. President Trump promised to end the war. Now it's happening under President Biden, and there was drawdowns under previous administrations as well. Is there a way, based on your experience, KT, that this could have been done in a less harmful manner? Was there a smarter way to do this, or was this always this horrible collapse 
and humanitarian catastrophe and national humiliation was this inevitable? The Trump administration tried to get out, and we had negotiated with the Taliban. And when the Biden administration came in, because from anything that Donald Trump did, they, they thought was so terrible that they reversed course. And then they said, well, instead of getting right out, we're going to wait. We're going to get out September 11th on the 20th anniversary of the attacks in the Twin Towers. Now it'll turn out that Afghanistan will be in Taliban control by September 11th. Yes, the way we could have gotten out, we always had to get out. And it was always going to be messy. It might have been less messy if we could have gone to the Taliban and say, "Okay, we're out. We will leave intact these certain things for you in exchange for letting our forces come out. Now what's happened is as the Taliban um, is taking city by city, province by province, the others who are remaining, they'll rush to the exits. They'll rush very quickly to the Taliban side. They'll trade American weapons that they have in their possession in exchange for amnesty. And I predict that the, the American forces are going in and essentially not only to get Americans out, but they'll probably get the leadership of Afghanistan out, who will otherwise be tortured and murdered, um, sadly. Because the Taliban, you know, when I was in Afghanistan maybe 15 years ago, Guy, an Afghan tribal leader said to me, hey, you Americans, you think you know everything. You have all the watches. And then he tapped to his bare wrist and he said, we have all the time. We know you're eventually going to leave. All we have to do is wait you out. And that's exactly what's happened. So now what? I mean, if it's a fait accompli that mm -hmm. we're gone, the Taliban takes over. Does al-Qaeda reconstitute? Does ISIS head to Afghanistan and create a new menace that's going to eventually start impacting U.S. interests down the line? I mean, is this cycle starting over? No. You know, the, Afghanistan will now become sort of preyed upon by all of its neighbors. Iran will want the western part of Afghanistan, the Herat province. Pakistan will want the southeastern um, part of Afghanistan. The Chinese will want the Chinese want what they always want, which is the raw materials and natural resources. The Russians, they'll want to have some piece of Afghanistan on the northern tribal regions of Afghanistan, the ethnic groups that are also in, in Russia and the former Soviet Union. So everybody will now be fighting over Afghanistan, but it's not our fight. And whether the region is destabilized, I, I'm sorry it is, but this is not a part of the world that matters to us. We have wasted our time and blood and treasure there, and I think that American political and military leaders should be held accountable. They, they knew it would ultimately end this way, and yet they kept telling us, you know, a few more billion dollars, just a little couple more years, or just, a, you know, a little bit more time, a little bit more money, a little bit more American troops, and we're going to turn the tide. But we never were going to turn the tide. Why? Because the Afghans always had the time, even though we had the watches. I've seen some of these statements from spokespeople in the government sort of warning and urging the Taliban to do things. Jen Psaki at the White House was uh, sort of almost appealing, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, to the Taliban's conscience and like, you know, do they want to be, con do they want to be considered, you know, on the right side of history and, and a member of in the, the global community or whatever? I, I mean, to me, that's just an extra layer of humiliation and groveling. Of course they don't care about that. Of course they don't care about that. And and sort of putting out these statements, begging them to come and negotiate when we have absolutely no leverage whatsoever. 
look, KT, you might be right. You might be partially right. You might be wrong. You might be totally right. I don't know about what should have been done and how we should have acted in Afghanistan over the last 20 years. I still, even with a war-weary public, I still can't believe that Americans, at least many of us, are going to look at what's happening there and just sort of shrug and say, oh, well, you know, we had to cut our losses at some point because there's been so much sacrifice, so much money, so much blood spilled of our people, not their people, our people as well. And to see it all so rapidly go down the tubes with, you know, American spokespeople almost begging a terrorist organization to be a little bit less terroristy. I, I mean, it, it's it's a very sad, demoralizing moment that I think will leave a very bitter taste in a lot of Americans' mouths. You know, here's the thing. The Biden administration has projected weakness all around the globe. And other countries and our adversaries, they sense that. And so if one sort of feels, it looks like somebody's taking advantage of us, let's say the Russians, they're taking advantage of us um, in the Black Sea or over the over the pipeline issue, the Nord Stream pipeline, then other countries say, well, you know, I think we can push America around, too. There's no consequence. So the Chinese do it, and then the Iranians do it, and now you've got the Taliban do it because there's no consequence to them, and they know it. So it's this sort of um, momentum of passivity that is is created, and now that we're sending American forces back, and God knows what they're going to do with these forces. I mean, I guess they're going to be escorting Americans out of the region but I, I don't see how this ends in anything other than a lot of a lot more blood being spilled. Mm. And why do why why do we still have Americans there in the first place? Is what I don't understand. And your point about the lesson being learned from other enemies and adversaries is obviously true. And you know, you look at the testing of the Biden administration. You know, they talk a huge game on Russia, then they give Putin the biggest gift they could with that oil pipeline that they greenlit to mollify, you know, the Germans, basically, which seemed short-sighted and very much out of tune with what they'd been singing about Russia for years, because I think for partisan reasons they were doing that vis-a-vis Trump. But it's, you know, all these other hostile actors around the world are watching and looking and calculating accordingly. And the message from Biden is America's back. And I just wonder what he means by that. I'd love to have him explain it because I don't understand what he means. I mean, back where we're putting everybody else's interests in front of the interests of the American people and the American nation. I mean, I was sort of happy with America first. I thought that made a lot of sense. But we're now to, I guess, America last. We're we're back. We're back, everybody in the world. We're back so that the Chinese can steal our technology. The Russians can push us around. We're back to no longer having energy independence. Oh, we're back to supporting Iran and their nuclear weapons program. We're back because we're no longer supporting Arab-Israeli peace in the Middle East. I mean, to me, the Biden administration has come in with such a, a, a hatred of Donald Trump and everything he did that they would not even accept his successes. Yep. They had to reject them because well, and we've seen that. Trump did was like, yeah. And we've seen that at the border, Trump. right? They took successful policies on immigration. They had to get rid of them because they were Trump. And we've seen, we opened the show talking about what's happening at the border, uh, which is a complete mess. And you mentioned energy independence, KT. I want to get your reaction on this. The Biden administration begging OPEC to increase production because of oil prices. And many people immediately pointed out, well, hang on, you guys are against 
you know, drilling here. You shut down the Keystone Pipeline here, which was American, American jobs, North America, energy independence. You guys are flirting constantly with the anti-fracking crowd. And then you turn to OPEC and you're and you're groveling, asking them to increase production. How does that align even with your Green New Deal environmentalist stuff? I mean, it, it just feels like the entire policy suite of the Biden administration is incoherent and failing. I, I think that's a fair assessment of it. Um, it. Whether it's in the Middle East or it's in Asia or it's with energy independence or even, as you point out, the hypocrisy of the climate deal. We're now begging the, um, the Arab oil producers to bail us out. You know, are we going to now turn to the Chinese and beg them to bail us out of our inflationary situation? Please, China, lend us some more money because we've We've um, borrowed so much that we now have massive inflation, and we need more money. We need to borrow money, and you know you're a, you're a rich country. Why don't you lend it to us? I mean, it's it just the whole Biden policy is coming to a complete collapse, and it's not just on foreign policy; it's economic policy as well. Yeah, I mean, how just and I'm just sort of ruminating on this as you speak, KT. How do you look at the thousands of American workers whose jobs you deliberately killed? On the Keystone project, for the environment, supposedly, even though I think that was extremely shaky, their rationale there, but that's what they were saying. They killed thousands of American jobs, and now they're turning to the OPEC cartel and asking them, oh, oh please increase your oil production because you know there's a, a domestic issue here and you know the prices are biting us and we have a political problem. I just don't understand how you can explain and justify that that two-step. I don't think they have a good explanation for it. But they don't need one. Why? Because the media believes and is in lockstep with everything the Biden administration says and the far loony left of the Democrat Party. There is nobody holding them accountable. So whatever they say is accepted as truth by the media. And that's why shows like yours are so important, Guy, because you are one of the few people who is willing to speak truth to power and you do your homework and you study the issues and you present arguments which are very difficult to refute if anybody's listening. But when I think more and more people are to be looking at your ratings. But in any event, I think that's why it's so important for you to continue to do what you do. Well, I appreciate that. And it's not just me. It's it's a lot of us here and at other places. And I'll just say this, KT. There may be no accountability or little accountability in much of the media. That may be true. But the American people are the ultimate arbiters of accountability. And there are elections coming up at local and state levels this year in just a few months. And there are national elections next year. And no matter what the media says, no matter how much they spin, if the failures are right in front of us, my my faith has to be with the American people to say – we can't continue with this, and we need to make a change because uh, they, they've made some changes. The Democrats control everything, and the Republicans will be arguing in 2022, how's that going for you? And right now the answer <laughs> isn't feeling too hot, I think, for a lot of Americans on a lot of different fronts. Katie McFarland, she is a longtime advisor to multiple presidents. Her CV is incredible. Most recently, former Trump deputy national security advisor – and a friend of the show, KT, always appreciate your time and your information and your insight developed over many years of public service. Thank you, Guy. A pleasure to be with you. And with that, we will step aside and come right back on The Guy Benson Show. 
energetic, informed, fast-paced. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's the Guy Benson Show. We're talking about some of the failures of the Biden administration in that last segment with Katie McFarland. Here's a headline from today. Producer prices rose a record 7.8% annually in July. This is one of those inflation measures. From the Hill, producer prices rose a seasonally adjusted 1% in July and a record-breaking 7.8% over the last 12 months according to data released Thursday by the Labor Department. Prices for final demand services also notched a record-breaking monthly increase last month, rising 1.1% for the first time since the Labor Department started calculating the metric in December of 2009. Economists expected this metric to rise sharply again in July, which it did in June. And what do the ingenious Democrats who run Washington, D.C. do in response to this. They wring their hands about inflation and then they plot how to spend three and a half trillion more dollars on top of all the emergency spending that we've already pushed out the door. Much of it borrowed because we don't have the money. Like, well, let's spend trillions more Biden gave a press conference yesterday literally trying to talk about inflation and his spending plan. This is not a solution to the problem. It is contributing to the problem. Fox News poll, nearly 80% of Americans blame Biden for inflation. Go figure. Another hour coming up. Guy Benson Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Our middle hour of three kicking off here on the Guy Benson Show. Our website, GuyBensonShow.com, the podcast, free every day. Still to come, Molly Hemingway, Will Kane, some real stars. But for now, we're stuck with someone else. We'll get Good to him. We'll get to him in just a moment. But first, a Fox <laughs> News alert. The Dow closes up 14 points, 35,499. Red for much of the day, but... Tipped into the green at the very end of trading, and you heard his voice. It's familiar to many of you, especially on some of these Fox News radio stations. He is Jimmy Fallon, host of Fox Across America, which precedes my show, noon to 3 Eastern, Monday through Friday. 
Jimmy, it's been a while since we've done this. This is a big deal. In person. This is a big deal. We can insult each other uh, no, to I, our faces. I'm way into this. With you out of my life, I've had to spend a lot of money on Craigslist to get like old women to yell at me and stuff. I need you in person. I was going to say, where are you going with that? It's a whole, it's a whole to do, but... It is a big deal to be in your studio with you because during the pandemic, there were moments where I've been in your studio. You've been interviewing me from maybe D.C., and it felt like I was in an episode of Garfield minus Garfield. Do you remember that cartoon? where no. they All right. Somebody online has this really good cartoon where he shows you Garfield comic strips if Garfield didn't show up. <laughs> so it's like the dog and the owner just hanging out. And I very much felt like the Odie sitting next to, I believe, the John, which was always unsettling to me because I have the Garfield physique in this relationship. <laughs> I'm the lasagna eating cat in our friendship. Am I not? And slightly orange. Thank you. Very, yeah, right now I am. There's a lot of tanning going on. There's a lot of crazy things happening for the telly. I don't even, it doesn't even bother me. Go in, Guy Benson. And have at it. Nice to see you, pal. I can imagine you sitting here, even in this chair, mm-hmm. just quietly weeping a little bit. Like, like <laughs> I, I miss his musk. I, I, I often sing This Used to Be My Playground by Madonna when I walk by this studio. And your studio is like literally, what, five feet away? Like a sec. You can't miss it. It's the one with what all the- What do you have? Hates. You have all this stuff all over your studio. So my like, a, st- like a toy yeah. store. My studio looks like the inside of the van that promised you candy. That's exactly what it looks like. There's toys everywhere. There's Millennium like, Falcons. Hey, kids, look at this cool <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it does, though. It's every toy that was in my bedroom between, um, like, probably second grade and fifth grade. I kind of gussied it up as a way of, I thought, disarming guests who came in. It would give them something to talk about. I will have you know, when Caitlyn Jenner was in studio, she went bananas over the old school, like, He-Man toys. The Star Wars stuff because it, it took her back a little bit. It's a conversation starter. It is what a bizarre world for me to know as a kid who uh, grew up in the eighties and ate his Wheaties that I was talking to what was once Bruce Jenner, who was now a woman, playing with my childhood toys. It was a we we discussed this on the air. It was a big evolution in thought for my little brain. Does she have sort of a low key attitude? Because I yes. honestly don't think that she's a very serious candidate. No, she's not going to she, win. No, she's, no, she's not really campaigning. It. She's not even, I have a she better went to Australia. Of, I have a better chance of winning Mr. Universe. Then, I mean, to be fair, yeah, she's, you know, she's pulling like eight, fifth or sixth. She's not actually going to win. But what you just did was mm-hmm. you mentioned her former name, yes. right? And to some, that is called dead naming. And it's this. Is that true? Yeah. You're, oh, you're not supposed to do it. It's wow. totally outrageous. But I think that she's actually pretty chill about it because yes. she recognizes that part of her life. And at the time he was Super world famous. Biggest in the world. On on Wheaties, on the box. Think about that. I actually told her a story because uh, I had posted a picture of us. And one of my friends commented, wow, two great athletes in this photo. And another friend posted, yeah, Caitlin and Bruce. Wow. (laughs) Meaning not me. (laughs) Which I thought was great. I like a little tough love on my show. But yes, I am... uh, Right next door to you, surrounded by toys. If you're ever lost in the Fox building, you can't find our studio. It's the one with the beer cans on the floor out front. It's a mess over there. We're, you know, we're, we are a three-hour-a-day cry for help. But and it kind of works. In fairness, this is not my studio. Like, oh. this is Brian Kilmeade's studio. Yeah. When I'm in New York, I use it. Yeah, yeah. My studio has been completely rebuilt <laughs> down in Washington, D.C., but I've never used it because uh-huh. COVID stuff. So we will debut the new studio at some point here coming up. That's exciting. Down on the D.C. side, you can maybe grace us with your presence That'd at some big, point. That would be a big deal. Me, you, the swamp, good living. I saw some of your tweets since we're on this mm-hmm. this theme with Caitlyn Jenner. The CDC tweet about pregnant people, this is now the yeah, official yeah. line yeah. that they use. Birthing people is another one. <laughs> Birthing people 
is what they say. Now, look, I'm in uh-huh. the LGBTQ community, yes, right? I am completely in favor of treating people with respect and dignity. I, I start to lose the thread completely uh-huh. when there is a demand from a fraction of yeah. a percentage of people that the rest of us must abandon yes. our language because and just basic – Biology and the use of words and saying pregnant women is somehow now offensive. Yeah. Come on. I mean, uh, who actually <laughs> I, I honestly, if we uh-huh. if we got all of America drunk uh-huh. and truth serum or something yeah. and said, All right, truth serum time, do you think that it's offensive to say pregnant women? Yeah. It's got to be what eighty five percent say no. That's not offensive. That's just I would say ninety nine point nine percent at their core, because most of the people who find offense on that level are kind of buying into this age of incentivized outrage, where they're not even finding offense because they're offended. They no. know it'll come with some type of positive attention from a select group. Right, of then people. they get a high off. Of yeah, it, that's right? a, yeah. It's like a it's weird digital dopamine. They get online. They shoot it up from their phone because I think it's offensive to women. That you're when you talk about we said yeah, you can't term, say women anymore. Yeah, have a, I'm sorry. I'm gonna get out. I'm just gonna go. <laughs> I didn't have the spreadsheet. I didn't know it was women. But I've you know the argument people keep making is like oh you know college isn't preparing people for the real world anymore. And on some level I agree with that. But I don't even think it's from an academic standpoint. I just think it's from a basic functionality standpoint. What I mean by that is I think you know from driving a cab a long time and talking to a lot of people, I really do think the whole point of life is to what have fun. If you die tomorrow, you're going to wish you had more fun. And I think we are stifling people's ability to find fun and happiness by calibrating them to search for outrage. And that's what I think is the bigger detriment. But, so, and so, um, first of all, I'm glad that you mentioned that you're a cab driver. I never heard that from you before. But the other thing is... <laughs> he, hey, hey, uh, I keep appearing on shows like this. I'll be a cab driver again. Oh, be throw, I'm kidding. Stop it. But... Uh, whoa, 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 I want to jump in. He has thrown five shots at me. I take a shot at him. Stop it. You stop that right now. Oh, oh, I thought you were... Sorry, I misunderstood. I thought you were uh, no. pandering to me. I thought no, no, you were... No, no. Okay, no, you were insulting me. That's fine. <laughs> No, I take it back. Don't stop it. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I used to say, and we used to make the argument that the colleges were not preparing kids for the real world. Mm-hmm. The reality is these kids are going through this indoctrination and then remaking the real world. Yes. This is now the real world, Good this point. stuff. Good point. And, and so, you know, the pregnant people, again, call people by the pronouns that they want, try to call them by the name that they prefer. We can do that and be polite. Uh-huh. We don't have to completely change the English language crazy. And, and determine that certain things are out of bounds, like the word women. Now, you mentioned in your worldview, uh-huh. the ethos of Jimmy Fallon, the whole point of life is to find fun. And you posted a photo okay. on your Twitter, I believe I saw, of a woman having more fun than I've perhaps ever seen. This <laughs> this woman in the ocean wearing a mask. With a mask on. What is that? That's the Long Island sound. That is uh, the That's pop- real. Yes, that's the- She's like out there. She's out to sea by herself in a mask. A legitimate probably quarter of a mile from anyone else. So is there some type of CDC edict that the fish now spread? I mean, I mean, because I know, uh, you know, heaven forbid you're getting eaten by a shark. The last thing you want to do is catch COVID, you know. No, Fauci's like, we think it might be reasonable. Now Fauci's going to close those schools. 
He's gonna schools close, of fish. He's going to close the schools of fish now because of this lady. She'll be drowning, but she's like, at least I'm safe. <laughs> In the new Jaws 3D, it's actually Jaws 3 Delta. It's Jaws 3D. Karen wants a mask on her gravestone. <laughs> We've, we have like, I think, you know. We've lost a, our minds a little bit. Yeah, there's a, the collective psychology is just broken right now, and I think you know that. It's like we, we can take some mitigation steps, preferably driven by science, Someone by themselves in the middle of the ocean in a mask is just like, oh, I mean, you do you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a hard enough talk, time talking right now with two masks on, let alone swimming with one. <laughs> Jimmy Fela, Fox News Radio colleague. Appreciate it, sir. Oh, man, you're the best. And we'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We're back here on The Guy Benson Show. So we talked about this mass mandate that was imposed in Washington, D.C. by the Democratic mayor in the deep blue city of D.C., Muriel Bowser. And she violated the spirit of her mask mandate, including for vaccinated people indoors and in some outdoor settings, too. That's what they're recommending. And then mandating them indoors, even if you're vaccinated. She violated the spirit of it the night before it went into effect because that was her birthday party. So she was taking photos like Dave Chappelle. She was out at a restaurant. She had a whole group of people. So she got her birthday party in because that was important and essential. Remember, she went to the Biden victory speech in Delaware when people in D.C. weren't supposed to travel unless it was essential. And she said, oh, yeah, going and clapping for him was essential. Basically, whatever matters to her, whatever she wants to do is essential because she's the boss. She's the mayor, so she will do what she wants, and you proles will follow her mandates or face consequences. So she violated the spirit of the mask mandate, which kicked in just after her birthday party. And then she violated the letter of the mask mandate when she was photographed and videotaped at a wedding the next night, indoors, not wearing her mask. And her office sort of lied about it and deflected and tried to attack the journalist who had reported this. So that's how things started with the Washington, D.C. indoor mask mandate, including for vaccinated people. I want to bring you an update on this story because we thought it was ridiculous at the time. We explained why. We got into detail. I try to, on this virus and this pandemic, follow actual evidence and be reasonable and responsible. That's what we try to do here. I'm sure sometimes you all disagree with me on some of my assessments. Other times you agree. I hope you at least know that I try to be trustworthy. Maybe you're tired of me talking so much about COVID. I just think it is the number one story in the world, has been for a year and a half, and we're still dealing with it, and our everyday lives are affected by it. Now, we can have the discussion about wearing masks and all of that in some of the places where there are huge spikes because of the Delta variant. Right now, it's a lot of warm weather areas, vacation spots, places in the south, When you have low vaccination rates in communities, they're getting hit especially hard. This is why we've been encouraging people to get vaccinated. Now, people are attacking Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, every day. 
and Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, every day. Strangely, the governor in Louisiana, which has been arguably the hardest hit state of all of them in this Delta wave, strangely, oddly, there hasn't been a lot of criticism of him. Do you care to guess what party he belongs to? Yeah. The other one from DeSantis and Abbott. In any case, DeSantis is making the point that some of this is just seasonal. Right now, Florida is sort of in their season of when COVID would hit, and they're dealing with this wave, and it's been really tough, overwhelmingly hitting the unvaccinated, vaccinated people doing much better in Florida, and their rate in Florida is above average on vaccinations, for which, of course, he gets no credit. But he points out that at some point, the seasonality is going to affect, in all likelihood, northern states as well. And I think that's true. And you might see these waves hit bluer states farther north. Now, the higher the vaccination rate, the less pain there will be. There's a way to get out in front of this if you live in one of those states. I would encourage you to get vaccinated if you haven't done so already for all the reasons that we've talked about. But the fact is, in Washington, D.C., there is no delta wave in any serious way. And yet, this imperious government decided to come in and pretend like it was happening anyway and start bossing people around. Lending credence to the theory that a lot of this is about government control because the facts on the ground might justify some mitigation steps elsewhere. In D.C., there's no justification at this time for what they've done. And yet the government in D.C. said they might have the indoor mask mandate, including for vaccinated people, extend until at least Thanksgiving. It's like they just pulled that date out of their rear end. Like, this seems like something we'll say. There's no basis for it. Why Thanksgiving? Where does that even come from? It's made up. If you look at the stats right now in Washington, D.C., they haven't really changed since we first talked about this. Quote, in mid-July, this is from Allah Pundit at Hot Air, in mid-July, shortly before Bowser ordered her new indoor mask mandate, the city, Washington, D.C., was averaging 56 hospitalizations for COVID. Now, two weeks after the mandate took effect, it's averaging 58 hospitalizations from COVID. So, statistically unchanged. A few dozen people in a city of, what, 800,000? That is their justification, supposedly, for forcing everyone to wear masks inside all across D.C., even if you're vaccinated and totally asymptomatic. This is completely irrational. This is performance. This is signaling to other people, we are going to be so pro-science and so pro-safety that we're going to ignore science in the name of safety. Your move, you know. San Francisco, whoever's going to come next. Would you like to know the average deaths per day from COVID in Washington, D.C. over these last two weeks? The average deaths per day? Zero. And yet, this is what they've done in Washington, D.C. Now, here's what makes me concerned. What happens if due to seasonality, there is a delta wave that comes to Washington, D.C. Then what are they going to do? They've already pissed off a bunch of people with this nonsense. What new mitigation or lockdown strategies are they going to use in order to continue their performance art 
of safety theater and COVID theater. I don't know. I'm sure Muriel Bowser is already dreaming up new things that she can do and ignore herself. She probably has a whole list of things that she will impose on others and then ignore in her own life because she can. One more thing on this. Gyms in Washington, D.C., right? Fitness centers, masks indoors. It is a disaster. People don't want to have a mask on their face when they're running on a treadmill, for example. So they came to the city and they said, look, here's the deal. What if we require vaccination? We can allow people to come in. They prove that they've got vaccination. They've got proof of vaccination. Can we have that in a gym setting be a substitute for wearing a mask? And the city took that entirely reasonable offer and said, no, not allowed. So you'll have people, if they want to exercise, fully vaccinated, wearing material over their faces as they try to breathe, even as fully vaccinated people. You might force more people outdoors into the wicked, disgusting, swampy heat instead. I'm sure that's safe. The irrationality drives me crazy on this stuff. And again, what happens if it does start to get worse in some of these blue states and cities, seasonality-wise? And I say go get vaccinated. It matters to you. It may not matter to some of these apparatchiks and bureaucrats making decisions that are going to control your life. There's another example of this that we'll get to later this hour from one of the most prestigious universities in the country. Total irrationality. Yet again, that's coming up in a bit. First, Molly Hemingway joins me next on The Guy Benson Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The Guy Benson Show. We are back on The Guy Benson Show. Very glad to have you here from New York City on this Thursday. We are joined now by Molly Hemingway, senior editor at The Federalist, Fox News contributor, co-author of the best-selling book, Justice on Trial. And there's another book forthcoming that we will tell you more about in the weeks and months to come. Molly, great to have you here. It's wonderful to be here with you. Well, I didn't expect that we were going to be chatting about another Hunter Biden laptop today, but here we are. I guess there was a second laptop involving sex tapes or something like that and Russian drug dealers. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. I understand that he is troubled. I don't care about his sex life or his proclivities. I do care about real stories that might affect national security or might indicate corruption, foreign business deals, et cetera, that get shut down and throttled and suppressed by the mainstream media and big tech, which is what we saw prior to the election on the first Hunter Biden laptop story, which the Biden campaign simply asserted was Russian disinformation. That was not supported at all. Here's another laptop involving Russians, and it looks like it's just another shrug and snooze reaction from the exact same people who just decreed that the last story didn't matter and wasn't real doing the bidding of Team Biden. I actually wish Hunter Biden were in an American newsroom because in this most recent um, in this most recent video, he actually makes the case for why it's a news story. He says, and I mean, I'm not recommending anyone watch it, but if you do want to watch it, um, he talks about how he was on a bender 
how uh, what a person he believed to be Russian took his laptop and how this makes him vulnerable to blackmail, he explains, because his father is running for president. This is 2018. He he sort of announces that his father's running for president and that he makes a ton of money through the family business, which, of course, is trading on his access to his father, who is the president. And that's why it's interesting. Now, I agree with you, Guy, that we don't know, you know, obviously Hunter Biden is troubled. The fact of his family loving and supporting him is a good thing. Yes. But it also leads to them to be vulnerable to national security threats. And so we just need to be able to talk about it honestly, because it does affect the entire country and not just the Biden family. That's right. Because I think some people seem to take some glee in this man's problems. And I think it's pretty clear he has had or still has addiction problems. And I want no part of ridiculing that. However, when it comes to blackmail, as you say, he is laying out the case on one of these tapes about why this is a serious problem potentially for him and his father and his family and blackmail. And that's just one of the laptops, right? The other laptop had all these emails about foreign business dealings that, again, we were told that was a non-story. It was planted by the Russians. It is not true. Don't turn this into Hillary's emails. Let's shut it down. That was the collective response in the final stretch of the 2020 election cycle. And everyone just went along with it, even though even at the time you had the Biden campaign refusing to deny the authenticity of that laptop and the emails. And you had a business associate very close with the Biden saying what Joe Biden is saying about this story is not true. I know it because I was physically there. That was a Tucker Carlson interview that almost no one else picked up in the mainstream press. I guess what I'm saying, Molly, is I would be less interested in this story about this laptop and this problem with Hunter Biden if I didn't have this fresh memory of what the media and big tech did on the last story. And they're sort of interrelated. It was one of the scariest things I've seen as an American, this suppression of a legitimate news story involving the Biden family business. And it is the Biden family business. That's Hunter right. Biden and James Biden, two relatives of Joe Biden, use access to him as a way to make money with foreign governments. That is a completely legitimate and, in fact, very important news story. And yet, and by the way, Joe, the former vice president, now president, then candidate, Denied all of it, right? He went out and gave these extremely broad-based blanket denials. None of it's true. None of this happened. I didn't know anything. And at the very least, Molly, we know at this point basically for certain that that was a lie. The categorical denial at the very least was a massive overstatement. And yet this is what happened. And not only was the story sort of ignored, the news outlet that published it had their social media account suspended. For days. It was suppressed. People who shared the story were suspended, like Kaylee McEnany, who shared the story. She had her Twitter account suspended. You weren't allowed to send a message in direct messages. You weren't allowed to share on social media. Facebook said that they were doing a preliminary strike before anyone did what they what they pretend is a fact check, which is which is not a fact check. It's a way to enforce uh, dominant media narratives. This is not American. This is what you expect in Soviet Russia. This is not what you think should be happening in a free country with a free press. And it is so alarming. And it is only, you know, it's only getting worse. They are they are violently suppressing information in a way that is a huge threat to the future of the republic and needs to be stopped. I mean, it's 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 an actual threat to the republic. Um, that it that it involves Hunter Biden and Joe Biden is very interesting because they're the president and the president's son. But this is just not how free people can operate. And it is it is 
changing the shape of our republic and our interactions with each other and a free press. And for people who cried about totalitarianism and fascism for a long time, you now have the Democratic Party directing social media companies to suppress content, which they're doing, like textbook definition of fascism. And all the people who claim to care about this are silent. Well, except, Molly, you misunderstand, or perhaps you're just naive. Those things are good when the bad people (laughs) are affected, right? I mean, this this is the key difference, Molly. And that's actually what they believe and how they justify it, right? We're good. They're bad. So these tactics are good when we do them and terrible Republican periling stuff when they do them. That's it. Yeah. And of course, this is how fascism spreads whenever it does or authoritarianism. People always think that they're on the right side of things and that it's okay to suppress content. But in America, we have believed even when people say false and really bad things, the solution to it is more speech, not less speech. If someone says something that's inaccurate about COVID or says something inaccurate about Hunter Biden, you know, or says the truth about Hunter Biden, and you want to disagree with it, you can. That's what being free means, and that's what we are losing and have, in many cases, lost. And it definitively affected the last election. And this is one of the reasons why people don't have confidence in elections is because they see that the media have turned into propagandists instead of engaging in journalism. And one more point on this, Molly, and it's sort of zooming out to now the 20,000-foot level. When you hear people urging tech companies to do more censorship and the media to censor more information on account of misinformation, it's hard not to think back to the many times that correct or viable things were wrongly labeled as misinformation or disinformation, like the Hunter Biden scandal on the laptop, like the lab leak theory in Wuhan, China. They have used that exact term before wrongly. They've abused it. And then they want to still use that word as an excuse for additional censorship. And they say, well, this is different if it deals with COVID because it's a public health emergency. But the point that I've made in the past is they call everything they don't like a public health emergency. They call climate change a public health emergency. They call guns a public health emergency. So when you're abusing both of those terms, misinformation and public health emergency, it is a roadmap to simply suppressing speech on any subject that you don't like. And it actually is pretty frightening. And it's for raw political power. And it's not just suppressing true things and labeling them as false. It's taking false things and claiming they're true, which is what we saw throughout the last four years of the Trump administration, were invented stories that actually were disinformation, such as the Russia collusion hoax, weren't just supported and elevated and transmitted throughout social media. People won awards, for spreading these things that we now know are, are complete lies and fiction and the product of like literal campaign spending to create these these narratives. So it's not just that they're suppressing truth. Oh, it's are you are you referring to the steel the steel dossier that was paid for by the Clinton campaign and the DNC? Just that minor detail that many of us seem to have forgotten about. By the way, Molly, that that just sparked a thought. It's completely out of left field. What is happening with John Durham and that investigation? Where is that? Well, uh, unlike so much of what happens at the Department of Justice, where they use politicized leaks to advance an agenda, to his credit, I think, uh, John Durham has not done that. And he, we were promised the results of that, uh, that investigation. And of course, that Russia hoax affected the 2016 election, the 2018 election, and the 2020 election. And we're still waiting for some semblance of justice. But I wait I, w- I mean, I don't really have much much hope that any justice will be served, but who knows? Stranger no. things have happened. Yeah, I mean, because so he's been we'll hard at work, work, right? And we got various reports that it was expanding. He was bringing more people on. There were extensive 
investigation, inquiries, interviews happening. So, I mean, at some point we're going to have to hear something, one would assume. The lack of leaks, at least for now, I guess, is is good news. Molly, I want to play for you quickly something that aired earlier in the week on CNN. Brianna Keeler, one of their anchors, very angry at conservatives for noticing something. And here's what she said in Cut 4. There are some in the Republican Party who insist that COVID isn't so bad, certainly not bad enough to have kids wear masks in school, even if they're too young to be vaccinated. But actually, it is bad. They say very bad, a threat, in fact, if it's undocumented immigrants bringing it into the country. And again, no evidence that they're responsible for the COVID surge in U.S. communities. It is the centuries-old trope of demonizing foreign people as diseased. The R-naught on that virus is sky high. And these conservative voices know that. They're the vectors here infecting Americans they profess to care about with misinformation. And the rising case numbers, the lagging vaccination numbers are proof of that. Okay, so that's just one of their many news people over at CNN. No opinion on that (laughs) network from their anchors. And here's the thing. She used that word misinformation. There it is again. There were a number of different things that if we could spend, you know, half an hour together, we would going line by line through what she just said, including just the quick aside, the assumption that masks on young children are a useful policy. That is, as we spent a fair amount of time on the show yesterday explaining, at least a debatable proposition with counter arguments and counter data in the other direction. She talks about the lack of vaccinations among Conservatives, and that is part of the problem, I tend to agree, and my position on that is very clear. But on the illegal immigrants piece of this, I don't know anyone who is blaming America's overall COVID or surges on illegal immigrants, right? There might be some people, but that's not a mainstream view that I've heard almost anywhere. It's not accurate. It's not true. But there actually for sure is evidence that along with the border crisis, there is also a COVID crisis That's intersecting with it. And we opened the show today with that. The city of Laredo, Texas, just turned away a bunch of buses filled with illegal immigrants that were supposed to be settled or at least stay in their town for a while when they found out that 40 percent, 40 percent of them had tested positive for covid and they were worried about their own hospitals getting overrun in Laredo. I just find it very difficult to hear the media and the White House lecture Texas about what's happening with COVID in Texas, while also saying it is xenophobic and racist and an awful trope to notice something that is at least contributing to part of the problem. It's insanity. I just want to point out that in that same segment, there was an actual out-and-out falsehood that Breonna Keller went with, claiming that Title 42 expulsions were up under the Biden administration when they're down dramatically. So that was another thing that she got wrong in that segment. And uh, Margot Cleveland wrote about that. This idea that you're not allowed to just use common sense on certain things, we, you know, we know that we have, we're still in the midst of this global pandemic, or we're moving from it being a pandemic into being a seasonal thing that we're going to deal with for the rest of our lives, like flu or anything like that. It is incumbent upon people to be healthy to get vaccinated if they're able to do so, and that we should, of course, be paying attention to what populations, you know, what the effect is on different populations. The U.S. government itself has claimed that they are dealing with rampant COVID outbreaks in some of these crossings that people, when they are tested, are testing positive for COVID. We know there are different, you know, there are demographic differences that, uh, you know, a lot of it has been paid attention about Republican voters not getting the vaccine. What we know is also that black Americans and Hispanic Americans are least likely to get vaccinated. This is just reality and something we need to deal with if we want people to be healthy and hiding the facts about different 
demographics is not going to help anyone. And being smug or trying to politicize it isn't helping anyone either. Yeah. And it's funny how she says, well, conservatives say this isn't a big problem to the extent that you want to put masks on children, but it is a big problem at the border. You could make the exact opposite indictment of many people in the elite press and on the left saying that they don't want to look at the border at all. Avert your eyes. Nothing to see there. Not a crisis. It's sort of unpleasant while insisting based on dodgy, dubious, scant science that kids must wear masks at the age of three. So there's that. Very quickly, Molly, people are saying Chris Cuomo, speaking of CNN, Chris Cuomo, can he survive this whole thing? I can't imagine that he wouldn't survive because everything he did was blessed by management. Am I wrong about this? Well, also, to your point, CNN did used to have some veneer of news about it, uh, about what was going on there. I think almost everybody there, if not everybody, has now just overtly gone into opinion programming. And Chris Cuomo is almost like the least of the problems because, of course, nobody expects a far-left opinion host like Chris Cuomo to be doing hard-hitting news about his brother, Andrew Cuomo. We saw what happened during the worst of the outbreak as, as thousands of people were dying in nursing homes. He was having his brother on for this, like, jokey hour talking about, oh, shucks, mom was the best. So, I, you know, it's not a serious news organization, and it shouldn't be treated as such. It does propaganda for the Democratic Party. It will continue to do propaganda for the Democratic Party. And I'm not surprised that you know, I, I think he'll be fine. He's the least of their problems. You know, I kind of get the sense that Molly Hemingway may not become a CNN contributor anytime soon. Just to, just to guess, she is a Fox News contributor. We're very happy to have her here on the team, also a senior editor at The Federalist. Molly, great stuff as always. Let's talk soon. Thank you. Take care. It's The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Back on The Guy Benson Show. One of the most frustrating things about this pandemic, setting aside all the health issues and suffering, which is, of course, the number one problem and the number one source of sadness. It has also been, as we look at our response, our public health response, our policy decisions, it has been at times maddening, flummoxing and demoralizing to see how irrational We are collectively all around on all sides. Stanford University has announced that they are going to do weekly required COVID-19 testing for everyone, regardless of vaccination status or symptoms. This is a crazy policy that makes absolutely no sense. This type of thing could disincentivize vaccination, right? Saying we're going to be testing everyone. Regardless, it doesn't matter if I'm vaccinated. Now, they're probably going to require vaccinations if they haven't already. This is also massively wasteful to be testing people with no symptoms who are vaccinated and young. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. No part of that policy is rational. None. And this is Stanford University, one of the top universities in the nation, imposing this new policy. And by the way, these tests are going to pick up dead virus from asymptomatic people and will probably result in non-dangerous outbreaks, needless isolations, potential cancellations of classes for no reason. And this was dreamed up by our best and brightest, supposedly. 
who seem to be in an arms race of who can do the most COVID theater as aggressively as possible, no matter what the science is. It's actually pretty distressing. I mean, we love Stanford, great school, beautiful campus, wild, counterproductive, I would even say anti-science policy out in Palo Alto. We'll see who follows suit. Who can one-up this? I shudder to consider that question. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show. Coming up, Will Kane will join us from the Field of Dreams in Iowa. Stay tuned. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the Thursday happy hour on the Guy Benson Show from New York City. Glad to have you on board. If you care to tune in tonight, I will be hosting Kennedy's show on Fox Business Network, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Did that last night as well. Had a blast. So set your DVRs for this evening as well. Here on the radio side, our website is GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast, free every single day on demand. And the happy hour is sponsored by our friends at The Finish Long Drink. Long drink is really good, very delicious, increasingly popular across this great nation. Go to thelongdrink.com. You can see where it's sold near you. You can order online. But always drink responsibly. This is for listeners 21 plus only. Thelongdrink.com. With us now is Will Kane, co-host of Fox and Friends Weekend and host of the Will Kane podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Will, great to have you here as always. What's up, guy? So you are in Iowa. You are there for the big event tonight in the cornfields of Iowa, the Field of Dreams, Yankees, White Sox on Fox. Set the stage for us. I've seen some of the visuals on the news channel throughout the day with your hits. It looks pretty cool. It's obviously a stunt, but I'm here for it. Oh, it's the kind of stunts we need more of in sports because everything about it feels authentic. So first, there's something about not just this movie, but this setting that really seemed to capture the essence of baseball. I talked to Alex Rodriguez yesterday, guy, and he really put it into words. This field that was dug out of a cornfield, which one time was a movie set, but also at one time a real family farm, just feels like baseball. And you feel like you're in the movie and you're going to reenact it. I mean, throughout the day, I've walked into the cornfields like I'm disappearing. I had a catch, you know, on the diamond. And this is the kind of thing that I think MLB should be embracing. Yeah, Yankees, White Sox tonight, 7 p.m. on a separate field, quite honestly, 100 yards away from the original movie set because they had to make a real stadium with an 8,000 person seat grandstand. But here's the thing, I'd like to see more of it. I'd like to see. Knicks, Lakers at Rucker Park in Harlem. I'd like to see, I don't know, professional football played at a high school football stadium, not in Texas, because our high school football stadiums are basically professional football stadium size. So you'd have to go someplace more quaint. But man, it's something about getting back to the essence 
and the and the basic nature of the sport. And I think that's what this event really, really symbolizes. You were able to catch up, as you mentioned, with A-Rod, who will be helping on the telecast. He's one of the Fox analysts. Did you ask him about J-Lo at all? Did that come up? <laughs> Are you dating J-Lo by any chance at this point? I'm trying to keep track of this stuff. No, but I would like to get a hold of uh, J-Lo's HGH dealer because it's doing <laughs> oh. a great job of keeping her 23. I didn't ask oh, she doesn't him age. about his love life. I did not. Uh, he was cool. I really liked talking to A-Rod. Uh, he seems extremely and- personable, honestly. And and he's just he's such a versatile celebrity, right? He was this massive sports star. He seems right at home when he's sitting there on Shark Tank. He's a great analyst on TV. He just seems sort of like a, a nice funny, occasionally self-deprecating guy. I'm a little jealous that you got to chat with him. That's cool. Well, he's a big star. I mean, he's a real big star. When you get to be that big a star, you wonder when you stop being a regular person. But, I mean, I think it took a minute. I think this is going to sound like the most dorky thing I could say. (laughs) Um, But he knew who I was because of the years I spent in sports, and that allowed us to have a conversation on a common level. And then on top of that, I think everyone listening can appreciate this. He really professed, and he did it on camera, a love for America and 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 what he thinks this country is and can be and the role that sports can play in it. And here's the thing. I'll be real with you on this guy. I wasn't as starstruck by A-Rod as I would expect, maybe because I spent all those years in sports and I've met so many of my heroes. But I'll tell you who I was momentarily starstruck by. This morning, and I've been up since – 2 a.m. Central. This morning, Kevin Costner sashayed through the field. He didn't come talk to us. He didn't appear on Fox and Friends. He was on a different media obligation. But I did have a little bit, even from a distance of starstruck eyes, because I'll ask Especially the setting. That setting, right? And the significance. that's right. I think that's right. Placing him in this setting. But then I got to thinking, and I did this on the Will Cain podcast, how many actors... Would you and could you name that if they're in it, you're in on whatever that production is? And and I did my top five, and it's guys like Bradley Cooper. I can't even remember who else I said. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. I think I'm in on a Leo DiCaprio movie, but I didn't include Kevin Costner. But I got to thinking about the choices I make. I think I watch everything he's in: The High Women on Netflix, Yellowstone. I like Kevin Costner as a character. I mean, all the way back to The Untouchables, which is an all-time classic from a year that produced a lot of incredible movies. No, I think I think Starstruck is appropriate with Kevin Costner. I know that you feel that way every time you walk into my studio, and so, I mean, we don't have to, it gets a little awkward, uh, but at some point, I hope, I hope at some point, yeah, yeah, it's like you're like, wow, I'm in this Fox News radio studio, and I just hope at some point we, we, we can become close enough buddies that that sort of wears off for you, but, you know, one day, one day, a guy can dream I want to ask you this as well, not to make this too political, because this is something that you and I agree is great for baseball. We've also been, as big baseball fans, critical of the game, Major League Baseball in particular, with some of their forays into politics. And, of course, we talked about the All-Star game and what happened in Atlanta and then moving it to Colorado. And that political statement that I thought was uh, really poorly conceived poorly executed, unfair, and a pander to the woke people for Major League Baseball. I saw this point being made earlier. Are you at all concerned that the commissioner of Major League Baseball could parachute in literally to the Field of Dreams and cancel the game? Because you may recall, Will, 
Iowa passed a voter integrity law not too long ago. Are we allowed to have a showcase Major League Baseball event in such a Jim Crow state based on baseball's own standards? I don't know. And it's a wonderful point. Did Rob Manfred vet the Iowa voter ID laws before placing this game at the Field of Dreams? He should be asked about that. You know, honestly, he should be baseball. He should be baseball. He really should be on a serious note. Baseball doesn't have a lot of goodwill to burn up. And what I mean by that is for most fandom on the national level, at the very least, baseball's fallen back. And I don't know where it would be in national popularity rankings right now. But football clearly commandeers the number one spot. Basketball is debatable where exactly it lands. It's over. It's over indexed if you listen to the media on where American people are on their love of basketball. But baseball certainly isn't the place that it used to be. And young kids, my kids, for example, aren't massive baseball fans. And so you need to be careful when you start burning up your goodwill and taking political positions. But I do think nights like tonight are good, solid steps back in the direction of connecting not just to your fans, but to Americana. It's going to be a hard time turning away from this beautiful setting and watching baseball and possibly dingers flying off into the cornstalk. Oh, no, I'm into it. I'm into it. I think it's very cool. We did a segment yesterday on the show, Will, about a food product that was, I guess, invented for this event Guy Fieri, the celebrity chef, I guess was involved. We played some audio from him. Chevrolet, I think, sponsored it or something like that. It is a hot dog baked into an apple pie that kind of looks like a McDonald's apple pie. And it's supposed to be like the all-American treat at this all-American sporting event. Have you seen this item thus far in your Iowa travels? Will you seek one out and try one and tell us how it tastes? Because we had a big debate Yesterday, because we we really cover the serious issues here on the show. We had a significant debate about this product on the air yesterday, and and we need someone to actually sample it if possible. Okay, I'm going to fail you on that because I have not come across one. I I did come across the whatever promotional booth that you're talking about, the apple pie hot dog promotional booth in partnership with Chevrolet. What caught my attention, Guy, and what caught my eye and gave me the I want – was a 1971 Chevrolet pickup they had out front, green Uh with a white broad stripe down the middle, and I want that truck really badly. And I forgot about the apple pie hot dog, did not try it, and am headed out of town right now. So I will not be able to report back to you live what one tastes like, although I would not be afraid to try that. It's not going to fit. Yeah, that that is so disappointing to me, and I know it's got to be hard for you to disappoint one of your heroes like this, but it's okay. We're going to press through it together. Last question, Will. It's a different sport. You mentioned the primacy of football. Last time you were on the show, you and I had this hypothetical discussion about rumors involving Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. Awfully quickly, that went from rumor to fact. It is now happening a few years from now, but it's been announced. Very briefly, your reflection on that. And I guess my follow-up question is, are we anywhere near done with conference realignment? Second question. First, we're nowhere near done with conference realignment. Your conference, the Big Ten, will most likely be expanding. The Pac-12 and the Big 12 have to figure out their futures together or separate. We're nowhere near done with this reshuffling. 
Uh, my quick reaction is you can't stop the forward march of progress. This was going to happen. Texas and OU were going to join a bigger conference. I told you before, I'm a little sad to say goodbye to the old rivalries, but I'm ready for the new ones. I'm ready for the big time. Texas and OU belong in the SEC. Yeah, and you'll still have OU. You'll still have A&M, right? So that rivalry is sort of renewed. So it's like give and take. At some point, we'll have to talk about NILs and, and a lot of the money now that's going to be washing around college football. That's another conversation for another day. In the meantime, travel safe. Really good stuff on TV today, Will, from Iowa. It's it's just a, a very cool setting. I'll be watching tonight on Fox, rooting for my Yankees. They've been playing a little better recently against the Chicago White Sox. A special well, event. Let me just say thank you for your compliments. It, it means a lot. <laughs> one thing is, when compliments come from strangers, that's one thing. But when it comes from your hero and from a superstar, it's a whole other level. Uh, yeah. So thank you. Yeah, so you're going to have to actually find an actual superstar to do that and, and scratch that itch for you. Uh, but, Will, we always appreciate your time. Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend here at Fox News Channel. Will, travel safe. Talk soon. Thanks, man. We'll be right back. Guy Benson will be right back. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you here. Let's talk about emojis. There are a lot of people that I know who seem to text and communicate almost exclusively in emojis. I'm not one of them, but I do use them. I don't use them as aggressively perhaps as I used to, but I use them. They communicate things. And on my iPhone, at least, there are so many options and you can convey so many things. There's a Wall Street Journal story that got my attention a few days ago. Here's the lead. A smiley face isn't always just a smiley face. Behind the yellow, wide-eyed emojis grin lurks an intergenerational minefield. The ubiquitous emoji means happy, good job, or any number of other positive sentiments to most people over the age of about 30, i.e. yours truly. I'm in my mid-30s. But for many teens and 20-somethings, the youngsters, the youths, youths, a smiley face popping up in a text or email is seen as patronizing or passive-aggressive. So they quote a 21-year-old who's an intern who says, quote, I have to remember that they are older, talking about her colleagues, when she gets a smiley face emoji from one of them, because I use it sarcastically, she said. There are so many emojis, and Gen Z can never take things in a simple manner. The communication confusion doesn't end with just a smiley face. People of different ages take different meanings from lots of little drawings that substitute for words in so many texts and emails. The rise of emoji use at work, such as between remote teams during the pandemic, has created more misunderstanding than ever, says one expert. People over 30 generally use emojis to convey what the images always did, whereas younger digital narratives might ascribe sarcastic meanings to them or use them as shorthand for an entirely different thought. So this could lead to issues, right? If you have an old fogey like me at 36 who sends someone a smiley face, assuming that means good, happy, positive, which would make sense. 
and then you get something back from an intern. We have interns here again. Like if we got a Guy Benson show intern who's like 19 or something, and she uses that emoji only ironically because her generation only uses it ironically or sarcastically. There could be needless miscommunication and anxiety through the use of these emojis. There's one emoji in particular that's confusing to me. It is the upside-down smiley face. Have you seen this one where the eyes are at the bottom and the smiley face kind of looks like a frown? It's just the smiley one fully 180 degrees. What does that mean? Max, you're youngish. Help, <laughs> help me. I think that kind of means like a very sarcastic like, oh, like great. Because I don't know, it just it's like a smiley face just upside down. So I feel like it's just a very sarcastic kind of feel to whatever they're saying. Right. So it's probably not going to indicate true positivity. Right. But I think that's more on the sarcasm side. That makes sense to me because the smiley face is upside down. But if the smiley face right side up is also sarcastic and means the same thing, it does get to be a bit of a minefield. Producer Christine, who's by far the oldest member of our team in her 40s, uh, she really wants to get in on this. Do you know what an emoji is, Christine? I know what an emoji is. and You have a flip phone, don't you? <laughs> no, I do not have a flip phone. But what I was going to say is, in this article, it talks about the skull. You know, the... Yes. And we always use, use that for carousel. We do. But that's not what it means. Carousel, your pony that you had killed. Well, no, I did not have her killed, but you you always use the skull for carousel. But actually, it means that you're laughing so hard that you're dead. Well, it, can, it can mean that, but in this case, it is more literal because there's a carousel pony emoji and the skull emoji, and I use those together to describe what you did to your childhood pony. Now, here's a question. If you go to your emojis right now, they've got the frequently used one, like that whole section where it looks like it's, what, maybe 25 frequently used emojis. I think it's 30 now that I'm doing the math. What is your currently, what is your number one most used emoji? Can I go first? Please. A heart. That is sweet. That is on brand. The next one is a wine glass. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> are you are you serious? No, I'm serious. Oh, she's showing it to me. That is amazing. I'm actually astonished that the heart beat out the wine glass emoji. Mama's juice. Max, what's your most used emoji? Mine is just a smiley face with the closed eyes. Now, what does that mean? I'm just happy. Okay, it's a happy. But I've also been talking with this girl, so use different emojis uh -huh. when you're talking to certain people. So this one really boosted to the top. Got it. Recently, okay, it's it's flown up the charts. So you use emojis when you're dating? Is this how we court people now? Yes, with only emojis and nothing else. You never even meet the person. Wyatt, what is your most used emoji? It is the smiley face with the the tears coming out when you're laughing. Yes, which we often use in response to things that Christine sends to the group text. I hate that one. That's well, the worst one. I always feel like when someone sends that to me, they're making fun of me. Probably true. Mine, by the way, the American flag. On the Guy Benson Show, we love America, and we'll be right back. GuyBensonShow.com The happy hour rolls on here on the Guy Benson Show. Earlier today, we were joined in studio by our Fox News radio colleague, Jimmy Fallon host of Fox Across America, noon to 3 Eastern, Monday through Friday. 
It's always a blast when we're joined by Jimmy. We haven't chatted on air in studio together, face-to-face, in quite some time. So there were some laughs. Laughs were had. Here's part of that conversation between me and Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy, it's been a while since we've done this. This is a big deal. In person. This is a big deal. We can insult each other uh, no, to I, our faces. I'm way into this. With you out of my life, I've had to spend a lot of money on Craigslist to get like old women to yell at me and stuff. I need you in person. I was going to say, where are you going with that? It's a whole it's a whole to do. But it is a big deal to be in your studio with you because during the pandemic, there were moments where I've been in your studio. You've been interviewing me from maybe D.C. And it felt like I was in an episode of Garfield minus Garfield. Do you remember that cartoon? where no. they? All right. Somebody online has this really good cartoon where he shows you Garfield comic strips if Garfield didn't show up. <laughs> so it's like the dog and the owner just hanging out. And I very much felt like the Odie sitting next to, I believe, the John, which was always unsettling to me because I have the Garfield physique in this relationship. <laughs> I'm the lasagna eating cat in our friendship. Am I not? And slightly orange. Thank you. Very, yeah, right now I am. There's a lot of tanning going on. There's a lot of crazy things happening for the telly. I don't even, it doesn't even bother me. Go in, Guy Benson. Have I've had it. Nice to see you, pal. I can imagine you sitting here, even in this chair, mm-hmm. just quietly weeping a little bit. Like, like <laughs> I, I miss his musk. I, I, I often sing This Used to Be My Playground by Madonna when I walk by this studio. And your studio is like literally, what, five feet away? Like a sec. You can't miss it. It's the one with what all the- What do you have? Hates. You have all this stuff all over your studio. So my like, st- a, like a toy yeah. store. My studio looks like the inside of the van that promised you candy. That's exactly what it looks like. There's toys everywhere. There's Millennium like, Falcons. Hey, kids, look at this cool <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it does, though. It's every toy that was in my bedroom between, um, like, probably second grade and fifth grade. I kind of gussied it up as a way of, I thought, disarming guests who came in. It would give them something to talk about. I will have you know, when Caitlyn Jenner was in studio, she went bananas over the old school, like, He-Man toys. The Star Wars stuff because it, it took her back a little bit. It's a conversation starter. It is what a bizarre world for me to know as a kid who uh, grew up in the eighties and ate his Wheaties that I was talking to what was once Bruce Jenner, who was now a woman, playing with my childhood toys. It was a we we discussed this on the air. It was a big evolution in thought for my little brain. Does she have Sort of a low-key attitude, because I yes. honestly don't think that she's a very serious candidate. No, she's not going to win. No, she's, no, she's not really campaigning. It. She's not even – she better went to Australia. Of, I have a better chance of winning Mr. Universe. Then, I mean, to be fair, yeah, she's you know she's pulling like eight, fifth or sixth. She's not actually going to win. But what you just did was mm-hmm. you mentioned her former name, yes. right? And to some, that is called dead naming, and it's this— Is that true? Yeah, you're, oh, you're not supposed to do it. It's wow. totally outrageous. But I think that she's actually pretty chill about it because yes. she recognizes that part of her life— and at the time, he was super world famous. Biggest in the world. On, of, yeah. on Wheaties, uh-huh. on the box. Think about that. I actually told her a story because uh, I had posted a picture of us. And one of my friends commented, wow, two great athletes in this photo. And another friend posted, yeah, Caitlin and Bruce. Wow. <laughs> Meaning not me. <laughs> Which I was great. I like a little tough love on my show. But yes, I am... Uh, Right next door to you, surrounded by toys. If you're ever lost in the Fox building, you can't find our studio. It's the one with the beer cans on the floor out front. It's a mess over there. We're, you know, we're, we are a three-hour-a-day cry for help. But and it kind of works. In fairness, this is not my studio. Like, oh. this is Brian Kilmeade's studio. Yeah. When I'm in New York, I use it. Yeah, yeah. My studio has been completely rebuilt <laughs> down in Washington, D.C., but I've never used it because uh-huh. COVID stuff. So we will debut the new studio at some point here coming up. That's exciting. Down on the D.C. side, you can maybe grace us with your presence That'd at some big, point. That would be a big deal. Me, you, the swamp, good living. 
I saw some of your tweets since we're on this mm-hmm. this theme with Caitlyn Jenner. The CDC tweet about pregnant people. This is now the yeah, official yeah. line yeah. that they use. Birthing people is another one. <laughs> Birthing people is what they say. Now, look, I'm in uh-huh. the LGBTQ community, yes, right? You are. I am completely in favor of treating people with respect and dignity. I I start to lose the thread completely uh-huh. when there is a demand from a fraction of yeah. a percentage of people that the rest of us must abandon yes. our language because and just basic biology and the use of words and saying pregnant women is somehow now offensive. Yeah. Come on. I mean, who actually I, – I, honestly, if we uh-huh. if we got all of America drunk uh-huh. and truth serum or something yeah. and said, all right, truth serum time, do you think that it's offensive to say pregnant women? Yeah. It's got to be what? 85% say no, that's not offensive. That's just – I would say 99.9% at their core because most of the people who find offense on that level – are kind of buying into this age of incentivized outrage where they're not even finding offense because they're offended. They no. know it'll come with some type of positive attention from a select group. Right, of then people. they get a high off of yeah, it. That's right? a, yeah, it's like a it's weird digital dopamine. They get online, they shoot it off from their phone because I think it's offensive to women. That you're when you talk about we said yeah, you can't term, say women anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm gonna get out. I'm just gonna go. <laughs> I didn't have the spreadsheet. I didn't know it was women. But I've you know. The argument people keep making is like, oh, you know, college isn't preparing people for the real world anymore. And on some level, I agree with that. But I don't even think it's from an academic standpoint. I just think it's from a basic functionality standpoint. What I mean by that is I think, you know, from driving a cab a long time and talking to a lot of people, I really do think the whole point of life is to what? Have fun. If you die tomorrow, you're going to wish you had more fun. And I think we are stifling people's ability to find fun and happiness by calibrating them to search for outrage. And that's what I think think is the bigger detriment but and so um first of all i'm glad that you mentioned that you're a cab driver i never heard that from you before but the other thing is (laughs) hey hey uh, i keep appearing on shows like this i'll be a cab driver again i'm kidding stop it but uh whoa whoa, i want to jump in he has thrown five shots at me. I take a shot at him. You stop it. You stop that right now. Oh, oh, I thought you were. Sorry, I misunderstood. I thought you were no. uh, pandering to me. I thought no, you no, were. No. Okay, no, you were insulting me. That's fine. <laughs> no, I take it back. Don't stop it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I used to say, and we used to make the argument that the colleges were not preparing kids for the real world. Mm-hmm. The reality is. These kids are going through this indoctrination and then remaking the real world. Yes. This is now the real world, Good this point. stuff. Good point. And, and so, you know, the pregnant people, again, call people by the pronouns that they want, try to call them by the name that they prefer. We can do that and be polite. Uh-huh. We don't have to completely change the English language crazy. And, and determine that certain things are out of bounds, like the word women. Now, you mentioned in your worldview, uh-huh. the ethos of Jimmy Fallon. There it is. The whole point of life is to find fun. And you posted a photo. Okay. On your Twitter, I believe I saw, of a woman having more fun than I've perhaps ever seen. This <laughs> this woman in the ocean wearing a mask. With a mask on. What is that? That's the Long Island Sound. That is uh, the That's pop- real. Yes, that's the- She's like out there. She's out to sea by herself in a mask. A legitimate probably quarter of a mile from anyone else. My full interview with Jimmy Fallon available on the free podcast, along with the rest of the show, every day on demand, no charge to you. You can download episodes. You can subscribe. We recommend any and all of the above. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or any of the other platforms where you get your podcasts. We are there. When we come back, the home stretch, a little movie madness on The Guy Benson Show when we return.
For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on this Thursday from New York on the Guy Benson Show. Hope to see you tonight as I guest host Kennedy's show, Fox Business Network, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So sometimes Twitter is actually fun. I know for years it has felt like a godforsaken hellscape. But from time to time, I'm reminded why I joined in the first place and have enjoyed it for so many years. People play games. And it's not about politics at all. So I saw this viral trend, which was post a movie you've seen more than five times, no explanations, and you would simply post a screenshot or a GIF from that movie. So I decided to use a GIF of Aunt Bethany at the very end of Christmas Vacation yelling play ball after she starts singing the national anthem. She also had a very funny moment earlier in the movie when she is asked to say grace at the dinner table. And it takes a long time for this to be explained to her. Then she finally says grace, and here's what it sounded like. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, with liberty and justice for all. They start standing up. Amen. <laughs> they all join in, and then the amen at the end. Aunt Bethany, a very underrated character in Christmas Vacation. So that was my answer in this Twitter game. It reminded me of another movie-related game on Twitter from last week, I believe, where the challenge was to describe your favorite movie in a short sentence and be as boring as possible. So sort of underselling it while still making it technically accurate. So my answer to that challenge was, main banker retires in Mexico. Which is, spoiler alert, although it's been decades, so I think the statute of limitations is up. The most boring way I could describe the Shawshank Redemption. One of the famous lines from that movie is from Morgan Freeman. Get busy living or get busy dying. We like to get busy living here at the Guy Benson Show. All right, Wyatt, what is a boring description of your favorite movie? So I have a boring description of, of the movie, but I did the part where you, you post the, the screenshot of the gift. Okay. And one of my favorite movies, I was actually watching the other day because it was just on one of the movie channels on, on cable, is Step Brothers. I think that movie is just the best. Is that Will Ferrell? Yep. And my favorite part is when they say, did we just become best friends? And they're best friends throughout the rest of the movie. I think we have that clip. If you were a chick, who's the one guy you would sleep with? John John Samos. Samos. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Do you want to go do karate in the garage? Yep. And I think we hear a little bit of, is it, Huey Lewis in the News, Hall and Oates. Yes, starts. So. Yeah, it's Hall and Oates. I knew it was one of those '80s bands. I have seen the movie, but it's been a while. I think I saw it once. I think my dad really liked that movie, actually. All right, Max, describe your favorite movie 
but boring. Two dim-witted people deliver a briefcase to a stranger. Two dim... Aha. Play the clip. What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Well, Lloyd, that's difficult to say. We really don't... Hit me with it. Just give it to me straight. I came a long way just to see you, Mary. Just least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> Classic. Dumb and dumber. That's Jim Carrey there, right? Yeah. Yes. Christine, your favorite movie, but make it boring. A New York City lawyer travels with his fiance to Alabama to help a family member out. One of the greatest comedies of all time. Roll it. What about these pants I got on? You think they're okay? Oh! Imagine you're a deer. You're prancing along, you get thirsty. You spot a little brook. You put your little dear lips down to the cool, clear water. Bam! A f-ing bullet rips off part of your head. Your brains are laying on the ground in little blood in pieces. Now I ask you, would you give a f- what kind of pants a son of a who shot you was wearing? I believe an Oscar-winning performance there. Yes, for Marissa Tomei. I love, there's a lot of well-placed profanity in that movie. When the judge again holds Vinny in contempt, I'm holding you in contempt. He goes, there's a bleeping surprise. And he's in that ridiculous costume that he had to buy because of the mud. Oh, that movie is fabulous. All right, well done. Yeah, I would say say City Slickers tour the South to help families. Yeah, so similar. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, I thought this was sort of a fun thing to do. You can think about how at home you would describe your favorite movie of all time in the most boring way possible. This is such a good, like, you know, around the table. It is. Conversation to have, you know, over the weekend, some beers with friends or whatever. I guess you could just not have the beer, but. Or wine at one of your dinner parties. Yeah. Or the long drink, whatever. Just (laughs) drink. This is, it is. That's that. Thank you for that advice. Dr. Cookie, just drink doctor's orders. She's not a medical doctor. And so I had to like throw that in there as a little disclaimer. So I got this wrong last week. I thought that Quiet Wyatt was going to be gone this whole week on his vacation, his first ever overseas vacation. In fact, he leaves tomorrow for more than a week in Italy. So I wrongly bid him arrivederci like last week, I am now going to accurately do the same thing again. You've never been out of the country, Wyatt. What percentage excited versus nervous are you? And what are you looking forward to the most? Um, I am like 200% excited. I'm still a little nervous because I'm not going to be content until I'm actually there. Cause I'm concerned about all these restrictions and COVID and this and that. But once I step foot in Italy soil, I will feel content and happy 
And what I'm looking forward to the most is I've been booking certain things as we've gotten closer to the trip. And so I booked a, 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 uh, a boat. So me and my brother are going to go on a boat ride that we get to pilot and, and drive ourselves in the Capri. So it should be fun and interesting. And you're flying into and out of Rome, I assume. You will eat very well. I can guarantee you that. It's hard to eat badly in Italy. I mean, it, you can be unhealthy, but the, the food's just amazing. And just, Wyatt, one piece of advice, be on the lookout. I'm not quite sure how the schedules are all lining up, but be on the lookout for Kennedy. Kennedy is in Italy right now. So we could have a little quiet Wyatt Kennedy reunion, potentially, if things work out. Just keep your eyes peeled in the airport for a sharply dressed woman, perhaps in a caftan, and distinctive glasses. I think she might be there with Emily Campagno, among others, too. I think there's like a little trip that I was not invited on, I want to point out. Everyone's going to Italy except for Guy. I'm not bitter about it. I've got some trips planned. But seriously, Wyatt, have a great time. You've earned it. You've done an amazing job. This is your first big, really, vacation you've taken in two years. First overseas trip. I'm so excited for you. I'm slightly jealous, but mostly excited. Like, 200% excited and a little bit jealous to sort of mirror your answer to me. Have a great time. We'll see you on the other side. And one other note before we go. It's not the last farewell of the week on The Guy Benson Show. A more significant one coming tomorrow around this time. Just a heads up, you don't want to miss it. You also don't want to miss Kennedy. I'm in for her tonight because she's in Italy. Filling in on Fox Business Network, 8 p.m. Eastern. I will see you then. Talk to you tomorrow on The Guy Benson Show. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.